All right. It's the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's episode, uh, I'll try something a little different. I was going to interview uh, actor Kamel Nanjiani from Silicon Valley for the Bon Appetit magazine. And I was like, well, if we're interviewing him for the magazine, why don't we just make it a podcast also? So we got Kamel on the phone. If you've watched Silicon Valley, you know him as Dinesh. We talked about what it's like growing up in Pakistan and then going to college in Iowa. What do you eat when you get to Iowa? The film that he and his wife, Emily Gordon, wrote together called The Big Sick, which is coming out next month. And finally, uh, why they're obsessed with the great British Bake Off. After that, food director Carla Music and senior food editor Claire Saffitz tell you how to make your own ice cream sandwiches. But first, I want to remind you guys again about our special podcast series coming up. I think this is the third time I'm reminding you, but I'm going to do it anyways. This summer, we're launching a new vertical on bonappetit.com, which we'll have more details about soon. But for now, we need you to call in with all of your cooking questions, feed about a recipe, a technique, something you're scared to try or something you have tried and you've totally screwed up and you want to know how to do it right. This is your chance to call in and talk directly with our test kitchen experts and a chance to hear yourself on the Bon Appetit Foodcast. So email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com and we will be in touch to coordinate. All right, let's do this. Kamel, welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, where, are you, where are you calling from right now? I'm at my house. Is, is this house like in Los Angeles or something? It's totally in Los Angeles. <laughs> totally in Los it's Angeles. actually fully in Los Angeles. Are you hanging out like in a robe and slippers and just sort of lounging about? Fully naked. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. Like you're, you're like the... I'm in my house. You're, so you're the naked chef. What is, is that, is that, that's Jamie Oliver, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't know why he was called the naked chef. He was never really naked. He was never naked at all. I think I think the original concept was that like he liked to cook really simple food and strip it down, if that makes sense. I think that was kind of the concept, although I don't know. Yeah, I remember when he like sort of did a thing on how food at American public schools was really unhealthy and everybody like turned against him for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is unhealthy. Right. Speaking of school, so uh, I'm going to rewind a bit, Kamel. Like you moved to America, correct me if I'm wrong, when you were 18 years old uh, from Pakistan to go to college at Grinnell in Iowa. I'm, I'm going to have to imagine that was a bit of a culture shock. Fair to say? Yes, it was a total culture shock. Very different from where I grew up. And to bring it back to what you guys talk about, it's a real culinary wasteland over there yeah i mean i i mean hell I, not to be whatever but like going from new york city to grinnell iowa would be a bit of a culture shock what was like talk about when you got to college were you eating like in the cafeteria had you ever been to like a chili's or outback steakhouse before or what was that transition like well it's interesting our cafeteria food you know bless them they worked really hard was never that great there was one thing that people always loved that was called chicken patty parmesan and that would show up once every three weeks or something. People were excited about that. If I may, in the Rappaport house every Monday night, you know what night it is? Chicken parm night. Really? Yeah, and it's delicious. It's still delicious after all these years. Crispy patties and we throw a little tomato sauce on there, a little Parmesan and mozzarella. Oh, my God. Good night and good luck. See, that was the only thing that people would get excited about. I get excited about a waffle fries every now and then. Now, it's funny you brought up chilies because... 
we didn't have those kinds of like chain restaurants in Pakistan. So my dad's favorite restaurant for a long time was Applebee's because we just didn't have that kind of place that has like a wide sampling of food, you know. And now his favorite place is Grand Lux Cafe, which is like, I think it's like a nicer cheesecake factory. <laughs> you can't have a nicer cheesecake factory. How nice? How nice can you get? I don't. I guess that's what they call it. Maybe <laughs> I haven't really, I haven't really investigated their claims. I went once. It seemed like a like a diner. <laughs> did your uh, Did your dad have like a go to order at Apple's Applebee's? I remember. I don't know what his go to order was, but I remember them loving pancakes for a very, very long time, like having a real love affair with pancakes. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, like, so growing up in, in Pakistan, um, did your mother do the cooking? Did you go out to eat much, or was it mostly home-cooked food a- as a kid? Mostly home-cooked foods. My mother would cook, and we always had, I mean, we had Pakistani food every day, and then if we had, like, American food, that was sort of the break from the norm. And usually when we went out to eat, we would eat sort of, actually, no, even when we went out to eat, we'd mostly eat Pakistani food. But, um, yeah, we'd basically have, like, a different sort of, we'd have, like, one vegetable thing and one meat thing every day. So, yeah, can you give me a, 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 an example of, like, a good dinner that your mom would cook? Honestly, when I think back now, it was great every day. And even then I was like, this food's great. Like, it wasn't that I had to be pried away from Pakistani food to realize it's true yeah. worth. You know, I always really, really loved it. So we would have like, we would have dal or something or some sort of, you know, potato and spinach thing like aloo sag or something. Mm-hmm. And then we would have some kind of chicken curry thing or like a, a goat curry thing. Or if it was a celebration, we'd have biryani, which is still my favorite dish ever. Um, getting hungry talking to you. Yeah. So basically, and then we would have like sort of um, roti. We wouldn't usually have naan. We'd have like chapati, which is like a really thin wheat bread. Would your mom make the bread or would she go to the market to buy that? She would make the bread. Mm, wow. So she was like cook. That's like real cooking every day. Yeah, and she still does real cooking every day. She's in, uh, She lives in New Jersey now and she cooks. Every day, and she's amazing. Her and my grandmother are like the best cooks I've ever encountered in my life. So yeah, so what was like? So you you came to America. Uh, you're in this small college town in Iowa. Um, what 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 was that like? What what did you start eating? And did you go out, or did were you like really homesick at first? What was that ex- the transition experience like? I was really really homesick for many many reasons. Food was one of them because. You know, like when I ate like a burger or something, that was always like a break from the norm and it always felt special. Like I really, I liked it. I really loved it. But when you just sort of eat that every day, what I missed the most was like the spiciness of the food. Like our food obviously is quite spicy. So um, eating food here in the beginning just sort of felt really bland, especially because it was like cafeteria food, you know, and they have to like make 2,000 people happy. Um, So that was really tough. And actually... This is weird. There was the only, it's a very, very small town. We didn't really go out to eat very much at all. Not at all. But there was a subway pretty close to campus. So I actually ate at Subway a lot. Did you ever learn to cook from your mother to recreate the food that you grew up eating? Yes, I actually I actually don't cook as much anymore. But through most of my 20s, I was cooking quite a bit. Because you can get these sort of packets of, 
spice mixes to make Pakistani and Indian food, and the company is called Shan, S-H-A-N, and they're actually huge in Pakistan, too. Huh. Um, and you can get these spice mixes where, you know, you, you actually, it tastes really good, and it doesn't, it sort of takes the guesswork out of getting the, the uh, you know, the, the ratio of the spices right and having to go and get turmeric and all this yeah. stuff on, on your own. So. so if you want to make chicken curry, you can get the packet, and that can, like, sort of get you halfway there. Yeah, I mean, and you know, they have like 20 different kinds of chicken curries. That's the thing. Like, I we never said curry over there because to us it was like, that's just a word that encompasses like 100 different things, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like salsa or pesto. It means it can be any sort of sauce or mixture. Okay, so you moved to L.A., I'm assuming. Got into this, yes. got into this acting game. Congratulations. You've been doing a hell of a job. I'm a ginormous Silicon Valley fan. Um and we're going to get to your new movie as well coming out, which is very exciting. Um, what's it like on set? Because as far as my experience with TVs, their shows and stuff, there's a lot of waiting around. Um, are you nibbling and noshing that whole time? Or are you one of those healthy types that says, like, that stays away from the catering table? No, it's a real struggle every day to stay away from that table because we do have a pretty good spread. Um, me and Zach Woods, actually, both try and keep each other honest because we're the ones who have the biggest issues with sort of constantly snacking. So we'll sort of make a decision at the top of the day or the day before, like, hey, are we, we say chubby. We say, are we going to chubby today? <laughs> we use it as a verb. I'm going to use chubby as a verb also. I'm stealing that one from you. When I'm working, I try and only do like a protein bar or something for breakfast just so I can start off right. But the problem is they have a huge, in the morning before lunch, there's a huge case of like pastries that has a lot of donuts in it. Oh, you can't go there, man. a lot of cronuts in Don't, it. do not go there. Right. And the cronuts are, you know, whatever the knockoff version is, but I think that they're so great. They're just there. So it's just a constant struggle to not go and just keep, you know, cutting little bites off of these cronuts and eating them. I'm thinking about them right now. They're amazing. You know, they have healthy stuff, too. Like, they have fruit and stuff, but that's obviously not as exciting. And no. then after lunch, they usually put out a lot of candy, like what? little chocolate bars. So then that's a whole other oh struggle. God. Like, and so all morning is spent trying to defeat cronuts, and then all afternoon <laughs> is spent trying to de- defeat Hershey's. What, what about... TJ, who plays Ehrlich, he, he looks like a hefty fella. Does, does he indulge? Yes. Well, Ehrlich's, uh, TJ's thing is he gains weight for the role. So he gains oh. about 25 pounds to play Ehrlich every year. So he basically, while we're shooting, kind of has to keep eating. And he makes a lot of, like, um, sandwiches. Like, what was the thing that he loved? It was like a, it's not a peanut butter and jelly. He makes some other sandwich, like peanut butter and cheese or something non-standard that's really, really good. He's like an offensive lineman in the NFL. He's actually putting on weight to bulk up. Yeah, he has to put on weight, but then when the season wraps, he has to like lose all that weight and then gain it back and lose it and gain it back. Yeah, so he, he's on a totally different plan than, than Zach and I are. What Question, when the, when the show, when you signed on for the show, at what point during the process did you begin to realize that, oh, wow, we, we actually have something pretty special here, and this this thing could have legs? Well, I mean, we never thought, like, during season one, while we were shooting, we knew we really loved the show. Would it have legs? I don't know. I didn't know if people were going to watch it, and you can't 
you can't really think like that. But I know while we were shooting season one, we really loved the show and we really loved everybody on the show and everybody writing the show and creating the show. So we knew that we, what we, it always felt special to us, but we couldn't tell if that was just sort of the exciting experience and being on a new show on HBO with Mike Judge, with, with people I love. We couldn't really separate that from the product. And then when we watched the first two episodes, we were like, oh, this is a really good show. Like, I love this show. I don't know if people are going to watch it, and I don't know if people are going to love it, but I know I love it. So it wasn't until it started airing that we sort of got the sense, like, oh, this might be something. You know, I think it's a really funny show. It's really good. It also came at a perfect time when um, sort of the tech industry was, getting weird and big again and people were getting a little interested in it and a little obsessed with it. And our show came at right when people were starting to talk about tech again in that way. Okay. So you're married to a lovely woman who not only did you write a film with, you also have your own podcast with the indoor kids, which it's like remarkably nerdy and just like annoyingly cute. You guys are extremely cute together in a way that like, wow, you guys are married and you're that funny together. And uh, how, how did the, how did the podcast come together? And can you tell the listeners what it's about? Yeah, it's been on a little bit of a hiatus, but it's coming back very, very soon. Um, it's basically started off as a podcast. You know, Emily and I have remarkably similar tastes in the pop culture that we consume. So we both love video games and we love horror movies and we love sci-fi and we like, it's kind of crazy. You know, when we moved in together, we had to get rid of so many movies because now we had two copies of Shaun of the Dead and (laughs) two copies of the newest Mortal Kombat game. And, you know, we, we just had a lot of overlap. So we've sort of, right from the beginning when we first started dating, we've been playing a lot of video games together. So basically we started this podcast to talk about video games. And then it's sort of expanded to cover like movies and books we'd read and TV shows and that kind of stuff. So it's just the two of us and we will have a guest on just kind of talking about what pop culture stuff we're consuming uh, with the focus on video games. Well, what was your first date? Well, our first date was um, we met at like a place and then we went to hang out at a friend's house that night. This was one of those like 2 a.m. nights, you know, this wasn't really a date, but I remember we watched like Sin City was on, on the TV with the sound off. So that was like sort of the first time I really hung out with her was like hanging out with her, talking to her, loving talking to her while Sin City was playing in the background. And then our first actual date date, we went to a, um, we went to a restaurant called Andy's in Andersonville in Chicago, which is sort of a um, Greek slash Middle Eastern sort of place. Really good. You know, one of the first movies we watched together was this movie called The Descent, which is a really, really great British horror movie. And another movie called The Abominable Dr. Fives, which is this uh, Vincent Price movie. Uh, from the early, early 70s, where he sort of is uh, this sort of very theme-heavy serial killer. Um, Speaking about movies, you and Emily apparently wrote a a new movie together called The Big Sick. This is based on your actual relationship story, or can you you tell us about what the movie's all about? Yeah, it's kind of based on the first year of um, our 
dating. Yeah, it's it's pretty. You know, some details have been changed, but I'd like to say it's poetically true. And, and, and the the events are remarkably similar to real life events. And what what are those events, or what's what's the elevator pitch for this movie? Basically, I don't know how much I should say. It's basically two people who haven't been dating very long, and then one of them gets really, 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 really sick. Right when you're sort of just a couple months into dating, that sort of period where you're like, are we going to continue, or is this over? What's going on? And in the movie, um, I don't know how much I can give away, but yeah, one of them falls really sick well before they're intimate enough to like know each other in that kind of way. With something that's so personal as that, is that a harder movie to make? Because when you watch the dailies or whatever, you're like, oh, that's not exactly how it should be. Or that's mm, that's not, you know, were you perhaps more critical than you would have been if it was a movie not related to your own life? I would assume so, yeah. But we've only made this movie, so I'm not <laughs> sure. But I will say it really does. It was good to have to have lived through that and know how everything should feel. So it's good that, you know, when something's off or the tone feels off, you can be like, okay, no, this doesn't feel how it should feel. So yeah. it's not like, you know, exactly how it should feel, but it, but you know how it should not feel. Yeah. So we always had that barometer of like, it has to feel real. It has to feel emotionally how it felt going through that. So, so in a way it was, I don't want to say easier because that's a strange thing to say, but it was definitely very, very helpful um, to have, uh, lived through that experience. Hey, because because we are actually a, a food brand, we have to talk a little bit more about food. Um, summertime, when the, when the movie comes out, uh, Silicon Valley relaunches in the fall, in the spring, I mean. Um, summer cooking, who does the cooking in your household? You or your wife? Is there one of you that's the griller? Or, or what? let's talk about sort of summer, summer eating in, in, in L.A. Well, you know, we don't cook as much as we used to, but we have started baking a lot because we got really into great British Bake Off. Oh, cool. We got into that show. So we got like Mary Berry's like baking book and we we got like some other like, we got this book that's like 80 cakes from around the world. So we've actually started baking quite a bit. And watching that show, Great British Bake Off, has really made us better at baking because you've realized, you know, I, I, I used to cook a lot and I feel like cooking was more a little bit more of an art. You can kind of taste it, see how it goes, put more, put less, eyeball it, see how it looks. Whereas with baking, it really is a science. It's chemistry. Oh, absolutely. So you really have to stick to the proportions and the amount of time and the temperature and all that. So learning that and seeing how it can go wrong while watching the show really made us uh, much better as bakers. What, what have some of your baking triumphs been? We made a apple tart of citron. Mm. That was really, really good. Really good. We made this raspberry pistachio cake, um, mm. sort of based on an Irani cake recipe, but then we modified it to add raspberry to it. Uh, really, really, really good. Um, we made sticky toffee pudding recently. That was mm. pretty, pretty darn great. Yeah. Any disasters? You know, I don't want to jinx it, but in this run... In the last year since we started baking, we haven't really had anything. We made a coffee cake that was pretty good, but it kind of went bad super quickly. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't quite figure out what happened to it. But I remember the second or third day eating it being like, this tastes weird. <laughs> and then and then we it started smelling weird, and then we got rid of it. So 
So I don't know what happened there, because usually cake shouldn't go bad on the next day. But on day one, it was pretty good, but I don't know what happened. That's the thing with baking. Like, something can go wrong, and you're like, I don't know why it didn't rise. Yeah. Well, that gets at the, gets at the science. And there is a scientific answer. You just might not know what it is. Right, exactly. That's the thing. There's always a scientific answer. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's why it sort of felt a little safer now, baking, because now we know, like, if we follow the recipe exactly and measure out everything perfectly, this should turn out well. Do you guys, uh, do you grill at all? Do you have outdoor space out there? We do have a grill, but I don't really grill. <laughs> does Does Emily grill at all? No, we, we will have our friends over and they'll, you know, they'll grill. Like Martin Starr, actually from Silicon Valley, who plays Guilfoyle, is a big, he's really good at it. So we'll have people over and he'll bring over like a bunch of stuff and sort of cook. I'm grill. I'm a big Martin fan. What, what what's his what's his specialty on the grill? Anything in particular? Well, he makes a lot of brats and stuff. He he has this butcher shop he goes to by his house and just gets a bunch of different things. And so he's really good at brats and stuff. Like brat bratwurst, you mean sausages? Yes. Oh, cool. If you're not grilling, if you're not cooking as much, are you like one of those sort of like? Are you delivering? Are you like? What's your go-to dinner plans? Are you ordering in? You know, or going out? Yeah, we're either going out or ordering in. I mean, L.A. has a ton of great Mexican food, so we eat a lot of, like, burritos and tacos and that kind of stuff, a lot of that. Um, it actually took me a while, but I found a couple of great Pakistani restaurants. And the problem with Pakistani food is I always order too much and I eat way too much, so I can't really do that too often. We eat a lot of Thai food. Mm, yes. um, there's a lot of great Thai restaurants here. I actually eat a lot of burgers, too, like buffalo burgers. Oh, interesting. Buffalo, where do, where do you, do you have a favorite burger place in LA? Yeah, I go to a place called The Fix that's right by my gym. So I go and feel good about myself and then <laughs> eat and feel bad about myself. <laughs> I know how that goes. Um, all right, Kamel, before we let you go, we're going to do the lightning round with you. These are some either or questions you got to answer. All right? <laughs> yes. Here we go. It's very exciting. Uh, PlayStation or Xbox? Xbox. I have a nine-year-old and I can't even remember which one he has. Is there a reason one gets Xbox instead of PlayStation? No, I would say I have the Xbox. We gotten it because I like the voice controls and I like that I can run everything through it. Since then, they've sort of pulled back on on um, really supporting the voice control stuff. So now it's mostly Xbox just because it's sort of by default. Although right now, I am playing a game on the PlayStation that's really, really good. Waffle fries or onion rings? Ooh, waffle fries. Do you have a favorite? That's fav- a great question. <laughs> does, do you have a favorite of who makes them? Anyone in particular? No, actually. We did have waffle fries. Did I mention that? We, we would have waffle fries at a cafeteria in school sometimes, and those were really good. Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. DC or Marvel? Oh, um, that's interesting. With movies, I would say Marvel. I, I think that the, what they've done with the whole Marvel universe has been uh, pretty impressive. Okay, let me ask you this. If you could be in one Marvel Universe movie, what would it be? It would be any of them. Oh, come on. That's not an answer. All right. I will say this. I don't want to play like the nerdy guy. I want to play like a superhero, (laughs) which is hard because there aren't that many superheroes that look like me. But you know what? Why can't I be Captain America? It's a new day. Going old school. Asteroids or Battlezone? Asteroids, I would say. Um, New school. That is old school. Doom or Mortal Kombat? Doom or Mortal Kombat? That's very, very, very difficult because I love both of those. 
I'll say the newest Doom was amazing. But overall, I'll say Mortal Kombat because over the years, Mortal Kombat has brought me more joy than Doom has. Relatively speaking to normal people, how good are you like at a game like Mortal Kombat? Relatively speaking to normal people, I'm pretty probably pretty damn good. Are you? I get, like, Emily and I will play. She likes fighting games, and I like them. We'll start playing them together, and we'll be even. And then I'll sort of get obsessed with the moves and the combos and really get into it. And then, like, she just wants to have fun with those games. I get, like, academic about it. And then she's like, this is no fun. You're doing these 14-hit combos and juggling and stuff. So I would say, I'm, generally speaking, I'm, I'm pretty good. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Nice. Do you like the new ones or the or the original TV show? I think the new ones are great. The original series is how I got into Star Trek, so I always loved that, and I like Next Generation as well. But I think the original series is pretty fantastic. But I think they did a, new, uh, a really good job with the um, with the new ones as well. Yeah. I just like Star Trek because it's a bunch of different stories, and they go to different planets, and they deal with different political systems and different like systems of ethics and morals and i feel like you know star wars is about rebellion and good versus evil whereas star trek is a little bit more about gray areas generally and i like that Ooh, very well put all right final question butter or olive oil i put butter on everything but then when i cook i cook with olive oil but i do i do butter a lot of stuff so i'm gonna have to go with butter Good answer. Kamel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and we can't wait for the new season of Silicon Valley and your new movie, The Big Sick. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. All right, Claire Saffitz. I have to admit, this is one of those recipes that when I see it, I say to myself, oh, sure, Claire Saffitz can make it look like that. <laughs> I'm not sure... I have the patience or the ruler in my kitchen to make these ice cream sandwiches look as perfect as you did. I think that's fair. Okay. There, you do need a ruler to make at least one of these recipes. These are all in our July issue. I'd say if you're not as confident of baker, go for... So there's two recipes here. Both of them are modeled after sort of iconic ice cream sandwiches of our youths. For people on the West Coast, we have one that's kind of like an It's It ice cream sandwich, which I recently tried for the first time ever. Yeah, I remember when we were talking about the development for this recipe, and I was like, you know, like an It's It, and you were like, what, like, what is, is It's It? Never heard of it. And they have them on Fresh Direct, which is our like local delivery really? service. Yeah, I've ordered them for parties. Oh, I had no idea. I had never heard of it in my life, um, but it's for those of you who like me who didn't grow up on the West Coast. It's an ice cream sandwich with sort of like an airy, cakey, oatmeal-y cookie. It's pretty thick, and it's round, and it's dipped in chocolate. And there's like all sorts of flavors, like mint and... But the cookie is always an oat cookie, right? Yes, yes. The flavor, the ice cream flavor changes, but it's always an oat cookie. Um, so, and it's great. And then the other one is like a good humor bar, cakey, chocolate. Wrapped in paper, and somehow that that the top of that cookie has an, a weird ability to stick to your fingers and, mm -hmm. like, peel off and also stick to your front teeth. Right. <laughs> but then it's, like, totally bendable and, like, sort of dissolves. 
Yes, and the ice cream is weirdly airy. Super airy. And like spongy, uh-huh. but it's still so good. Yeah. Um, so these are the options. You can make either kind. And if you want to go a slightly simpler route, I think the round It's It ones are easier because the dough, you don't have to cut out the dough um, and like use a ruler to measure these precise rectangles. And you can also just fill it with one flavor of ice cream. On the sort of good humor style ones, the recipe tells you to use two flavors. And I think the other thing is like these, you, you, you eat an ice cream sandwich, you eat a half cup of ice cream. That's just, just h- how it know goes. that going in. Yeah. So let's talk about the oatmeal cookie, which is round and um, has like a disc, a perfect little disc of ice cream that happens to be the exact same diameter as the cookie itself. So if you're not using a cookie cutter, how do you make that dough just be such a perfect round? Yes. So I modeled this cookie on like a lacy oatmeal cookie. So it uses melted butter. Actually, the butter is brown on the stove. So you get sort of caramelly notes in there. Um, And there's also pulverized ice cream cones to Mm. kind of give your that flavor cue that like you're eating this sort of ice cream treat. Um, and so the dough is kind of, it's very malleable and it's a little bit greasy from the butter. So it's very easy to roll out into, like roll into balls. Mm-hmm. So you're basically rolling identical balls um, and flattening them slightly on the baking sheet. And then they spread out even more as they bake. So actually, if you want perfectly round circles so that you can make perfectly round sandwiches, it helps if you have super flat baking sheets, mm. like not one that's So they warped. don't tilt around. Right. They'll get a little oblong if the baking sheet isn't totally flat or if your oven isn't flat, which is a thing for people. Like oh, in yeah. New, like New York City, like all of our ovens are like not really totally oh, yeah, level. My, yeah. My stove has like everything tilt, all the oil <laughs> and stuff in my saute pans. Like to just one side. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but it's okay. I mean, you basically take the cookies and they're all pretty much the same size. It'll be fine. And I actually had a mandate for these ice cream sandwiches from our editor-in-chief, Adam Rappaport, that he wanted them to look sort of neat. Mm -hmm. So that meant like straight, something that looked sort of clean um, and like something you took out of a package to sort of um, just give you that nostalgic ice cream sandwich look. So how did you get the super sharp? looking sides of the sco- of the ice cream in the middle of these two cookies. So it doesn't it doesn't look like a mountain scoop that is squashed and so it's like wide at the bottom and then, you know, comes to a round top like a cotton ball on top. They right. they do look like they come flush to the edge and stuff. So how do how do you do that? Yeah, so on the round ones on the oatmeal cookie base it's actually fairly simple. You need an ice cream scoop to get it really round and nice. Uh, so the key for both of them is to soften the ice cream a bit and to work the ice cream in a bowl with a wooden spoon, something or a stiff spatula. And you, it still is cold. It's not melted, but you are um, smoothing it out and softening it to the point where you have something that kind of looks like thick cake batter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will melt quickly. So, I mean, of course, it's summertime. You might be working in a hot kitchen. So right. you can return it to the freezer a couple times if it's starting to actually melt. Right. So you um, – and then at that point, it is very smooth and you can really kind of mold it into any shape. And so you're taking an ice cream scoop. It's a four-ounce scoop for this size cookie. We liked that proportion of about four ounces spread out over what's basically like a three to four inch cookie. Does it really matter if, like, do I have to measure my ice cream scoop? You don't have to. Did you you make sure that you were using an ice cream scoop that had a four ounce capacity? Yes. Really? Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, in the test kitchen, we have like 
all different size ice cream scoops. And I just wasn't sure how big it was. It turns right. out it's about a half cup. If you have a half cup measuring cup, you can use that too. Right. And then just use a rubber, like a flexible rubber spatula to scoop it onto the totally. cookie. Yeah. Okay. And then once it's on the cookie, you can kind of, you know, get it in the, you put it in the center of the cookie, kind of get into a circle. And then you take another cookie and you press down on top, sort of with slow, even pressure until the ice cream just kind of like makes its way to the edges of the cookie. And at that point, just stick it in the freezer because it's like about to melt. Right. Um, and it really kind of gives you this even, nice, smooth-sided filling in between yeah, the two Yeah, it looks cookies. like they were cut out with cutters, but they weren't. Can we no. talk about ice cream scoops for a second? Yeah. Because I have feelings. Share with me. Well, is this a spring-loaded in the picture? <gasps> it is. Spring-loadeds are the worst. But how do you get it out? It should roll out. I think if it's a hard ice cream... Like from the freezer or like from the ice cream shop, it rolls out. But I would worry that with soft ice cream, you're going to like mess right, it up. Well, from someone who worked in Shake Shack for two years when we were scooping custard, I actually called around and I called um, Ben and Jerry's because I was like – because we had a spring loaded and they either break or you get like carpal tunnel in your <laughs> thumb from the re repetitive <laughs> – Right. The repetitive um, springing of the ice cream. Anyway, I love a Z-roll. Those are great. But I, I don't think they're half a cup. No, I don't think so. But you would have to, like, roll the ice cream over itself a few times. Yeah, and it's the spring load. I agree with you that, like, first of all, it can be uncomfortable to, like, make that thumb motion. And also they, they are really expensive and they break easily. Exactly. So all of those it's things, like, I agree with you, <laughs> actually. So I might use a measuring cup. Yeah. and There are those measuring cups that are round. You I've know, never seen those. They're like plastic. They come on the... Oh, I feel like my boyfriend's mom got him a set that are cats. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. yes, I know use what you're talking your, about. Use those. Okay, All right. great. Um, and then, so for the chocolate ones, it's the same process of softening the ice cream in a bowl and beating it with a wooden spoon or a stiff spatula. Um, but instead of scooping to make a round shape, you are actually spreading it out in a pan mm -hmm. uh, to basically create like this slab of ice cream that you're then cutting and you're cutting at the same dimensions as the chocolate cookies. So you're setting, you're making this very like straight sided, smooth sandwich with those ice creams. And that I really did like when we, when I was editing the recipes for this, that we chose the word slab. It was like the ice cream <laughs> slab. And I was like, you know, I sat there going like, that's a weird word to use to describe ice cream, but I couldn't come up with a better one. Maybe in one place, it might also say brick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe. This was a but fun recipe to write. Yeah. There's a lot of like, you know, as food editors, we talk about recipe language a lot. And there was a lot of like very recipe-y language about what, at what point the ice cream is the right texture. Right. And, and The cake batter, I think, is a really good cue. Um that and making sure that it doesn't get too soft, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so this is where the ruler c came in, though. Yes. So the recipe gives very specific dimensions. And this is a suggestion. So the recipe works for four pints of ice cream and for all of the cookie dough. So you make like the full amount of the recipe. But feel free to experiment with different dimensions, different quantities of ice cream, just as long as you sort of get the basic idea that you're making cookies and then cutting blocks of ice cream into the same dimensions as the cookies. Right. You so could these do any could be shape. squares and look like a pole. What are the polar ones? The Klondike. The bar. Klondike. Like uh -huh. you could do it in a square shape if you wanted. Yes. Um, and you could use a, if you made your slab of ice cream and you had a two inch diameter, maybe cookie cutter, 
You could do these as circles. Yeah, uh, you, anything. I, th- I thought it was smart. What By cutting them into rectangles, you eliminated um, the waste, right? Because right. you get you kind of get the full yield without having those odd size trimming edges. Exactly. And so that just made sense for this recipe. Um, so it's more efficient and um, it's fun too because you can mix and match ice cream flavors. So the way it looks so cool to have this ice cream in the middle of the rectangular sandwich to have sort of two that layers. Two-tone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you could just like, that's a little bit of a process to do that. You have to first soften two pints of ice cream, smooth it into the mold and use like a straight sided pan just so you get those sharp edges. Uh, and then you have to freeze that for a little bit, like 20 minutes until it hardens and then repeat the same process with a second flavor. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. Just start with four pints of one flavor of ice cream and just do it all at once. Right. But you should probably work two pints at a time, right? Unless you have like a, a chance huge it just bowl. gets like yeah. super, it's going to melt. Like yeah. just it's more being out for more time. Yeah. And I would say a good tip for these is like make some freezer space before you start. Because like I've definitely been there of like right. I have an elbow in the freezer, like trying to move around some bags of frozen stuff and like pints of frozen chicken stock. And Because like, these are shit sitting on a on a rimmed sheet tray. Yes. And they will start to melt pretty fast because you've given the ice cream a head start. And so, um, and I think that's another good point is you actually have to, once you form the sandwiches, freeze them for a long time. You don't really want to eat them right away because part of the key to this recipe is that the cookies are baked so they're pretty crisp, both both kinds of cookies. And as they sit with the ice cream, even in the freezer, the cookies pull some moisture out of the ice cream and start to soften a little bit. Right. And that gives you that ability to bite into the ice cream sandwiches and pull off a piece of like cookie and ice cream without having to break your jaw or break the cookie. Or or squeeze all the ice cream out of the sides. Right. Like an <laughs> overstuffed, overstuffed sandwich. Right, right. And um, yeah, I thought that was really, I, ne- I mean, obviously I'd never made ice cream sandwiches at home. Um, and I had never really considered that texture, the humidity of the freezer, being next to the ice cream and just hanging out that they... They, it's not just the ice cream that hardens. It's like the cookie is softening. Right. I mean, you could eat them straight away, but I don't think it'll be as like full an experience. I think the cookie would, like you said, the cookie would kind of break more than being like just having a bite taken out of it. Right. The good thing is once they're frozen, they're frozen and they can stay that way for a very long time. So right. you, can make a, you can make a full recipe and, you know, eat half the next day and save the next half for, you know, two weeks later or something. I'm just wired as the kind of person who I would use the ruler for maybe the first two rows and then <laughs> get really like impatient and annoyed. And then I'm not good at cutting straight lines. And then I would just be like, whatever. <laughs> right. And then you have like a trapezoid on top and a, you know, kind of weird rectangle on the bottom, right. but it's still going to taste good. Exactly. It'll taste exactly the same. It'll be delicious. And people will be like, it's got that homey look. <laughs> it looks homemade. <laughs> no one will confuse it with the actual good humor bar. It will taste good. I think the key things are like softening the ice cream uh, before trying to fill it in there and that extra long freezing time and getting the bake time on the cookies right. Yeah. The the oatmeal cookies are easier to tell because 
you can see the edges darken and um, and they, they've spread, all they're going to spread. Um, the chocolate cookies, because they're already dark, because there's cocoa in them, it's a little harder to tell. But I often like poke the edge of the cookie while it's still on the baking sheet um, and just check to see if it's firm. Like I can I can touch the edge and it doesn't dent it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means you're, you know, they, they harden a lot as they cool too. So um, just to sort of test that edge for firmness and you're probably done. So as we're sitting here, I realize that if you were really ambitious with the rectangular chocolate cookie one, you could use four different flavors of ice cream. You could. You would have to make. And then you would have to freeze each individual layer. Yes. So readers, listeners, we really want to see who like takes it. We get amazing photographs on people's Instagrams. I want to see what people do. You could also do like repeated stripes you know yeah alternating and i want to it would be cool to see what kinds of flavor combinations people come up with totally we, we suggest some in the magazine i think it's just nice for the ones the chocolate ones with oh, two yeah. flavors to talk have- about the fruit the fruit flavored ice creams and and ice creams with fillings oh right yeah i found so like these are plain flavors that we recommend um and oh we just also recommend that you actually use ice cream rather than like a frozen yogurt or a sorbet or a gelato because some of those non-hard ice cream varieties have either like more air or less fat or Or more fat or more fat um, and they melt really weird and so using like a true ice cream is important for this recipe and not like a frozen yogurt because those just melt really fast and and they don't harden the same way right so the having like mix-ins in the ice cream makes it a little harder to get those clean sides. And as you scoop, it kind of like will drag those pieces through the ice cream or, you you know, you your knife catches on them as you try to slice the our ice cream slab. So it's best to use one with like minimal mix-ins. Something like a mint chip would probably work fine. Those pieces are smaller. But like a Ben & Jerry style ice cream that has a ton of stuff in it, um, like cookie pieces or like brownie bits, just doesn't quite work as well. Chunky monkey. Yeah, delicious to eat, right? Not, not as good as in, a, in an ice cream sandwich. So more of your straightforward, your chocolates, coffee, but something with a soft swirl like uh, dolce de leche would probably yeah. be okay. Works fine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as long as it freezes solid. This makes me want ice cream really bad. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to make these. I think I might start with the oatmeal. Uh-huh. I think you have to be wired a certain way. Right. I'll also say that these cookies are really good on their own. And so if you want to just make the cookies mm. and eat them with ice cream in a bowl, you don't have to construct them. Genius. Um, and they're, But they're also designed to be eaten frozen. So that was part of this recipe development was tasting the cookies like at room temperature, but also frozen because when something's cold, it like mutes their flavor and you're not as able to detect the saltiness and other sort of like flavor notes. So we made these cookies extra salty, um, which really also brings out the flavor of the ice cream. But it kind of made them like better at room temperature too. It's like, oh, you're just eating something that's sort of saltier. um, Really well-seasoned cookie. Yeah, exactly. Um, And salt (laughs) and sweet, like that that balance is so good. Um, And so the same same is true for the chocolate ones. Um, And also we were playing around with cookie. Part of the reason why the recipe is so specific about how to bake these and like what thickness to roll them out is if they're too thick, then they sort of don't hydrate enough. And they stay so hard in the freezer that you can't really bite through them. Right. So these are designed, like the oatmeal ones are designed to be very, very thin and lacy. And um, the chocolate ones, you want to roll out 
to the thickness that we recommend. I think it's about an eighth of an inch. Now, I know this might be a hard question because, you know, you created both of these and they're kind of your babies, but which one is your favorite? I kind of think it's funny because I grew up eating like a good humor bar um, when like the ice cream man would come down the street. But I I am really partial to the oatmeal ones. Wow. They're really good. But I like them both. That's great. I mean, of course, that's a very, 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 very democratic. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then if you were at the good humor truck, toasted almond or strawberry shortcake? I don't think they ever, I never ever had an th- option of toasted almond. Really? Anything. No, but I definitely, there was strawberry shortcake. Or and fudgesicle? Like, definitely fudgesicle. What was the one with like the gumballs as eyes? That was always one, the clown one. Oh, scary. <laughs> yeah, that one. And it like never looked the way it did on the package. You would like open up and be like, what is this? <laughs> it's like tie dye, the the color of yeah, the eyeballs. Yeah, it's all like, like kind of <laughs> half melted. Or like, you know, I always liked a bomb pop. Did, is that uh-huh, what they were called yep. here? I grew up mm-hmm. in St. Louis, so I don't know. Rocket sometimes, pop. Oh, rocket pop. But the like strawberry shortcake ones were really salty on the outside. Mm. And that's why I liked them. And so, you know, we carried that into these. these I are think sort I've of had like, a fight with Andrew Nolton about toasted almond because he didn't believe me that that was my favorite. He was like, no kid likes toasted almond. I was like, I like <laughs> I remember it. that. That's like the Italian background right. in you. Maybe. So what is it? It was the same as like the chocolate or strawberry short, like the little pebbly No, it had, like, it had like coconut flakes. Oh. And then there was something in, there was some core, some weird like extra thing in the middle. We may have to Amazon that. We can try them. (laughs) Great idea. I want to try it. Well, I had an it's it recently. I got to do all the research. We should make Brad order them for the kitchen. Let's go ask him. Just for a summer Friday. (laughs) Um, All right, Claire. I'm going to do it. I promise. All right. Good luck, Carla. Thanks, Mel. (laughs) Thanks. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.